0: Let's open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation. Oh, where did your joy go? Let's open your Bibles back to the book of Revelation. Maybe I have to say it more with more enthusiasm. Okay. Also, we need to make sure that those of us, our our massive millions of people on our online community, missed our, uh, our first service, so hopefully we're back, beamed up, ready to go. This service. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, why are we studying, why are we continuing in the book of Revelation? Because, lots of good reasons, but the, the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 gives us reason enough to lean in and pay attention. And here's what it says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. First part of that verse. Because we read and study this because there is blessing in it for us. We are blessed for leaning in, for listening and responding. How many want to be blessed? Yeah. Then let us really lean in. Let's, let's listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. And then the next part of that verse is this. For the time is near. Would you all say the time is near? I realize that in some sections of our of whatever that you might feel like that's a guy wearing a sandwich board on the middle of the street that's with a glazed look in his eye and you kind of just dismiss him. And there's there has been throughout periods of the of church history, sort of a dismissal of the idea that the time is near or the Lord is returning. But here is the thing we must, as the church of Jesus Christ, remember and live like the time is near. And it may seem to us like it's not that near, but, in, but as heaven measures it, it's close. It's close. And the church is never as effective, as faithful and fruitful as when she lives like the time is near. Meaning she lives like either the Lord is coming soon or remembering this. No matter how soon he comes, every single one of us will have to stand before Jesus Christ. When we live with that view of heaven, that view of eternity... This is what I hope that will happen to us as we continue in the book of Revelation, that we as a church will renew our view, that we will live with an eye on the fact that heaven is real. It's a reality right now, and that that hopefully it will influence the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we feel should supply us with attitude and motivation. We went with John last week in, in, into chapter 4. Chapter 4 began a new vision that John had after his vision of the risen Christ and, and the, the messages to the seven churches in Asia. Chapter 4 is a new part of the vision. He There's a door that opened, a voice that says, come up here. And John goes into a place, the throne room. You remember, we were in the throne room, and John saw four living creatures that represented the, the all of the... the the strong, the, the strength, the vitality of creation itself—that these four living creatures represented creation standing before the throne. Then there were twenty-four elders that we explained represented the elect, the redeemed. Speaking of twelve tribes of Israel, tw- twelve apostles in the, in the Christian church, these are the elect. So around the throne, you have creation and redemption in chapter four, celebrating and giving unceasing praise. To the one who's on the throne. The big idea we came away with last week is this. That in heaven, God alone, the one on the throne, is the object of unceasing praise. Regardless of the splendor and the light and the color and the, and the, the, the awesome creatures and angelic presence there. That it, while, you, while you would want to look around and say, wow, wow, wow. The only wow was at the throne. So magnificent is that one. That was important for us to recognize because it's true and it should affect the way we live. One of the things we we recognize from that is the church is never as close to heaven. The church is never more like heaven as when she engages in giving praise and honor and thanks to the Lord together. Now, chapter four actually sets up chapter five. Chapter five, John is still in the throne room. He's still in the same vision. But all of that, you might say, it's, you know, like someone says, I said all that to say this. <laughs> all of chapter 4 was to say what happens in chapter 5. And as a matter of fact, chapter 5 really helps set up the rest of the book of Revelation. We're not going to read ahead. We're trying to stay with John and stay in real time, page by page, moment by moment, to try to experience this in real time as John did. But we, what we do know is this, that, in cha- that chapter 5 sets up a great deal of the rest of the book of Revelation because someone appears in chapter 5 who becomes the central figure in the book. Someone appears in chapter 5 who becomes the focus of attention and the catalyst for all that will occur next. Someone appears specifically in response to an unanswerable question. A problem that can't be resolved. Someone appears in response to the question, who is worthy? Go with me now to chapter 5 and verse 1. Verse 1, says, John says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book. And ASB uses the word book. It's a book, but it would mean a scroll, Okay. Uh, that's in their language a book scroll same thing i saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals we need to grasp the significance of what john is talking about here this that this the significance of this scroll because that's going to help us feel the weight of what happens next Remember that John would have uh, interpreted what he saw from the, uh, an Old Testament reference, from the material and the, the documents, the, the scriptures that he knew. So when he sees a scroll, he remembers the book of Ezekiel. He remembers even some other ap- apocalyptic literature of his day. And he knows that uh, in, in these visions that a scroll has always meant a plan or a covenant or some sort of contract Something that is due. It's a contract that is come due. It is a plan. It is a signal of coming divine intervention. God's about to do something, but it's attached to and written about in this scroll. He sees, he knows what that is. Furthermore, this scroll, as he sees, it's written inside and out. It's it's complete. There's no more room. What has been said has been said. What is written is finished. There is no adding to or taking away from the plan from what's on this scroll. Furthermore, it is sealed with seven seals. That would have been like a, like a clay or a wax drop, and then someone's signet ring put in there, but not just one, seven of them. And in the, this, particularly in the book of Revelation, we understand seven always speaks of that which is perfect, that which is complete. So in other words, this scroll is finished, it's full, and it is, it is absolutely, completely sealed. It is sealed to be inaccessible. And perhaps even what makes it more inaccessible is that this scroll is being held in the right hand of the one true God. The one living, the one sitting on the throne is in his right hand. The place of honor, the place of power, the place of of privilege and esteem. He's holding that scroll. You've got to feel the weight of that. John said, whoa. It's It's like the reader should pause and say, what is that? That's a big deal. Sacred, significant, totally inaccessible. Sealed with seven seals, held in their right hand. Anybody here have the courage to walk up to the throne and take that thing out? No. Verse 2, John says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? Stop. Everybody say, Who is worthy? Here's a question that is sent out across the heavens and across the cosmos. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Everybody could hear him. Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? The scroll is waiting to be opened. Heaven wants it open. But it is so sacred, it is so significant that there must be someone worthy to break its seals and open it. Not just someone powerful. The angel that said it was strong. But not just someone who has the, the power to open it, but someone who is worthy. The question, who is worthy, not only sets up the rest of what we're about to read, but it really, the rest of the book of Revelation answers that question, or responds to that question. Because the, the answer to the, one who, uh, the question, who is worthy, that answer changes everything for eternity. The answer to the question, who is worthy, changes everything for eternity. Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. No one. Who is worthy? The angel cries. And there's silence. No one is worthy, no one in heaven, no one on the earth, no one under the earth. This is a this is a a, a figure of speech to emphasize that there is a total vacancy of worth. No one was found worthy to open the scroll. Then verse four. John says, then I began to weep greatly. Somebody say weep greatly. John begins to weep greatly. There's different different translations. We'll try to give expression to this. Some say I began to weep and weep, or uh, John, or I began to weep bitterly. You have to. I know that when you're reading it, the words just flow right next to each other, and sentences just come together. But slow down a little bit because you've got to just stop. John is describing a total breakdown, and this didn't, this wasn't, it didn't happen in a minute moment. It doesn't say, and I shed a quick tear. But he's overwhelmed with grief and despair. He senses. He doesn't, even, he doesn't yet know what's on that scroll, but he knows it's important. He knows who's, where, whose hand it is. He knows it's got something. He feels the gravity in the room that everybody is waiting with anticipation that there's, that there's great consequence at stake for that scroll to be opened. But, that, but the, the fact that no one is worthy to open it, it's, it's silent, and John is overwhelmed with grief. Have you, ever, have you ever been so disappointed? You ever wondered, is there no one to help? Is there no solution to this? There doesn't seem to be anybody who can solve this thing. He is overwhelmed. It's almost like John, now this is me reaching a little bit, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's just good preaching, I think it's good truth. John here because of the nature of what's happening in heaven I believe that John weeping here can, can speak to us of the of the condition of mankind who is fallen and that his best efforts he's looked around for every natural human solution to fix his brokenness and his fallenness but no one has helped him man remains broken man remains fallen and under the burden of sin and his only response is to finally just weep because no there's no human answer has solved the problem. He began to weep and weep. Verse 5, and or but one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Why? Behold, look, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. The, the elder turns to John and says, stop weeping. Weep no more, because the lion has overcome. And here's a gospel message to you and to me and to all the earth. Weep no more. Stop weeping. Your brokenness, our fallenness, the answer has been solved. There is someone who has overcome, someone who has who has faced the payment, someone who has paid the price, someone who has totally conquered on our behalf, the lion of Judah has overcome. We've no more. It is not hopeless. We are not helpless. We are not defeated. It isn't over. The lion has overcome. This phrase, Lion of Judah and the Root of David, are all Old Testament messianic terms. Make no mistake, John knew well this is on purpose. All of these terms are to tell the reader that the person in question, the one who has overcome, the conqueror is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ is the Lion. He is the, he is the one who has overcome. So the question, the answer to the question Who is worthy? The answer is Jesus is worthy. Would you all just say Jesus is worthy? That's it. This is the thing. This is the the thrust, the gist of the whole passage. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. Verse 6, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, I saw a lamb. Standing as if slain, having seven hordes and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The elder says, Stop weeping. The lion has overcome. John looks for this lion, and who does he see? A lamb. The lion is a lamb, <laughs> and the lamb stands with the appearance of one who is slain. He is standing immediately at the throne. And it looks like, because of what happens next, it looks like he may actually be on the right side. Now, wait a minute. John says, this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Now, before you weird out, I think that's just a weird looking thing. Remember, this is, this is a prophetic literature, and these things have meaning. A horn, every, every time, look through the Old Testament, a horn always represents strength. Strength. Okay. And this lamb has seven of them. So if seven speaks of perfection and a horn speaks of strength, what is John trying to tell us about this lamb? This wee little lamb. Is he a cute little lamb? No. This is a lamb that is clothed. This is a lamb that is adorned with perfect might, perfect strength, with flawless strength. And seven eyes, that's not meant to weird you out. That's if you had in the right context, that should make you go, whoa, seven eyes. The eyes have to do with wisdom and understanding. He's saying that this this lamb has perfect might and perfect wisdom and understanding. And then he tells us that these things represent actually speak of the seven spirits or the sevenfold, the perfect spirit of God. So this lamb. Is adorned with the Holy Spirit himself. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds like a guy who stood up in a synagogue and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When we speak of the Lamb, Understand we're never, we are just like the, like before the throne with the seven lamps burning, the, the Holy Spirit is present there, and then we speak of the Lamb. We haven't, we, we, the Holy Spirit is not only fully present, but he is fully and mightily and perfectly present upon the Lamb. This is, a, this is the Lamb of God anointed with the Holy Spirit, standing at the throne. Whoa. Who is worthy? The Lamb. So he stands there, but then verse 7, he just takes it up a notch. John says, I looked up and I see a lamb standing there. And then verse 7, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Did you see that? It doesn't even look like he had to ask. If you and I were writing this story, I know how I'd write it. To make it sound believable and precious and, you know, Lord of the (laughs) Ringsy. You know, I'd write it like, and the Lamb approacheth the throne and bowed down before the one. Seven times he bowed down, because I throw seven in there. Seven times he boweth down and said, O great one upon the throne, mayeth I have the throne, please. Something like that. None of that happened. There was no, there doesn't seem to be any subordination here. He walks up to the one on the throne, takes the book. That's one bad lamb. (laughs) Verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. As soon as the lamb takes the book, as soon as someone say as soon as as soon as he takes that scroll in, his, in, in from the one on the throne, the four living creatures, which represents all of creation, the twenty four elders, which speak of all the elect of all of redemption, they fall down or rather throw themselves down before the lamb. Up until now, chapter four, who they've been throwing themselves down before. The one on the throne. But now as soon as he takes the scroll, all of creation, all of redemption throws itself down on the floor, face first before the lamb. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. Come on, say Jesus is worthy. worthy. You can't miss how significant this is. Then they throw themselves down. Wait, what's this now? Each one holding a harp and seven bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. John would not be describing those massive harps that you see at you know, big, in, you know, in big restaurants or whatever. This would have been a smaller handheld instrument. And then seven wait, wait, golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Time out. John is saying that all of the prayers of the saints are kept. Not one expression of intercession. Not one time when you have lifted up your voice before the Lord in prayer or in petition or request. Not one time when you have lifted up your voice and cried out to God for help or for healing or for answers or for intervention or for, for, for him to meet, be your deliverer or your helper. Not one of those prayers has been lost. Every time you have lifted up your voice before God, it has been kept in a bowl, in a, in a, in a golden bowl, as it were. Every prayer is remembered and preserved in a very special place before God. And in fact. Every one of those prayers. Is only answerable by one. All of those prayers. Sat in a bowl and waited. Do you feel this? Until, until the lamb stood up. And then they said finally. Somebody who can do something about this. Somebody who can answer. The answer to all of our petitions. Is him. They bring their petitions. Before the lamb. Not before somebody else, before the Lamb. Wow. Who is worthy? Jesus is worthy. Verse 9, and then, and then, and then they sang a new song. What? i got to finish their verse, but they sang a new song. Everybody say a new song. See, chapter 4, there was only one song. There was only one song. Holy, holy, guy on the throne. Throne, great. Guy on the throne, only a song about him. Same song, over and over. Every time they sang it, everybody fell down, threw their crowns down. Then they'd sing it again, over and over, for for all this expansive time. But then something happened. Something happened that changed the song in heaven. The lamb caused the very song in heaven to change. And he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. Whatever song has been, whatever whatever, whatever, whatever has been on repeat, I'm telling you, when you recognize and receive the Lamb, when you, when you like these who fell down before Him, if you'll, if you'll surrender your life, throw your life down before the Lamb, your song will change. There will be a new song in your heart, in your home, in your life. It will change what it means to be who you are. I'm going to do it. There was a time, Brian, Saulwasser, when you threw yourself down before the lamb, and what it meant to be a saltwasser changed forever. Now, every, every kid, they got a new name. There's a whole new song in your house. There's a new song in your line, your family line, and your children forever. There's a new song because of the Lamb. There was a time my father, he went because he because his sister Pat found out Jesus was in California. So my dad looked. He left Iowa, got on a bus or a train, and went to California because he heard that's where Jesus was. And he went to a, a little church in, in California, and it was called Bethel Assembly of God. It's a good name. We should plant one of those sometime again. And he, he went to that church, and there he found Jesus. And then his brother-in-law prayed him through, like we do tonight, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, we, and my father was prostrate on the floor. He didn't know how long, but was his, he was wiped out, fell down to the floor, overcome by the presence of God. But when he got up off the floor, what it meant to be a Davenport would change forever. song will change because of the lamb here's the new song they sang worthy are you to take the book and its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth the song changed because of the Lamb. Here was the song. They sang, first of all, they sang, He or you are worthy. You are worthy because you were slain. There, therefore, you purchased for, for God by your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And by this same work, He has made them to be a kingdom and priests, which means they, are, they, are, they were made to be now citizens of God's domain. To live in communion with him. It means you no longer need to go to or through a priest to get to God. Because of the lamb, you're the priest. You can have, you has, He has made it possible for you not only to be a citizen, but for you to have access to God himself. Wow. And then he says, and the redeemed will reign upon the earth. Now, don't change this to to some geopolitical agenda. This is not about, oh, good, this is who we should vote for or whatever. No, 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 no. When it says, and they shall reign upon the earth, it is a signal that because of the Lamb and because of his work and because of what's about to happen, there will come a time when evil will be overthrown and displaced from the earth. And that in its place will be the, the, the citizens of the kingdom of God Living in fellowship with God and in peace with one another. For all of this. Jesus is worthy. One more time. Let's say it together. Jesus is worthy. Verse 11. Then I looked. Now, the living creatures and the elders are already singing this song, right? They're already singing. So right around around the. So the first place that the song changes is around the throne, right? Then John expands it. Then in verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them or the number of these angels was myriads of myriads. That's that. Yeah, that's a lot. If You want to just shorten it. What that means, the the, the Greek there is ten thousands times ten thousands. 10,000 was the largest Greek number available that you could write down. John found the biggest number he, his audience would understand and wrote that and then multiplied it by that same number and then increased it again. He's not trying to don't – don't, don't add that up in your whatever calculator you have. Oh, I want to know the exact number of angels in heaven and then write a book. Don't do that. That's not his point. His point is there are, there are incalculable, innumerable angels – celebrating and singing about the worthiness of Jesus. Their entire, they are captured, they are raptured by how worthy the Lamb is. And they sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Once again, those are not seven chapters in your next book. How many are that? That's seven. That means that, that what John is trying to communicate is they were singing up that, that the lamb is worthy of absolute and total affection and praise. That every glorious attribute belongs to him. This is an expression, a sevenfold expression of total praise. You cannot. Can I say this? Yeah. You cannot get more worthy than the lamb. Verse 13. And and so far we have had the throne then all of heaven, right? Verse 13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne. Oh, we've heard that. Yes, the throne to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. In case you've missed it. Heaven and earth and all creation now recognize that there is no distinction between the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. The lamb is God himself. I know it's a mystery, but that's the truth. There's no distinction. I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, John recognizes there is no voice excluded from exalting the lamb who is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Worthy. Let's say it again, please. Jesus. In verse fourteen, <laughs> and the four living creatures kept saying, "Amen." And the elders fell down in worship. Once this is the, this is a repeating cycle. The four living, everybody is singing. To who sits on the throne and under the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And then the, <laughs> the four living creatures say, "Amen." And then the four 24 elders throw themselves down again. Once again, we have an absolute, holy, happy chaos in heaven. And it's all honoring, ascribing, recognizing, celebrating the worth of the Lamb. Wow! I find it interesting that, I was reading, thinking about this meditating, I thought, that's interesting. They're saying they're all giving, essentially, honor to the name of Jesus, and every time they do, they're the four living creatures say, amen. Wow. I bet you, if you'll listen to this carefully, you'll never just close a prayer and just say, in Jesus' name, amen, again. Because when they say, in Jesus' name, amen, in heaven, everybody falls down. Everybody throws themselves down. <laughs> then they start over. You you mention that name in heaven, and everything shuts down. How do we respond to this? If my My, my goal is to try to, Look at this and then bring us, hopefully nudge you with, at least from my perspective, how we live the implications of this in helping us live with a view of heaven. The passage essentially begins with this one question, who is worthy? And then the rest of the the chapter answers that question with, Jesus is worthy. And there is no greater lesson, there is no greater message than that. Jesus is worthy. All of heaven knows it. All of the angels know it. All of creation knows it. His name is worthy. Heaven is caught up giving praise and honor and glory and dominion to the Lamb. How should that affect us? If heaven is caught up giving praise and honor and glory and dominion to the lamb, I am bewildered with how often believers will change the subject. Often we'll change the subject to us or to stuff. But listen, there are two things that if you when you when we allow ourselves to be taken up and into that place where all of heaven and creation is adoring the lamb for his worth, there are two things that don't fit. One of them is my ego. And the other is my anxiety. It is a place where I stop caring so much about me, taking myself so seriously, putting up my dukes, wanting to pick fights with everybody around me, wanting everybody to. My goodness, how can I look at this and then walk through life expecting you to treat me a certain way? Pretty much we should all just be focused on the lamp. What a great way to be liberated from what people think about you. You just join everybody else and think think about the Lamb. Second thing is no more anxiety. Don't weep. This, he is worthy. He is overcome. He has conquered everything. How could I, what what is left for me to fear? Nothing. Heaven resonates with wonder over the Lamb, over Jesus who is worthy. Do you and I? I tell you what, there's no better way to live than just, Letting yourself be lost in love and wonder and awe over the Lamb, over Jesus. It'll nurture such deep faith and hope and peace in your heart. Let me take it even further, some more practical things. Consider what it means to pray in his name. John 16, 24, Jesus says, Until now you have asked for nothing, ask in in my name. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be full. Ask in my name. Do do you feel that? Wait a minute. You're asking in the name of Jesus, the Lamb. You you can't get closer to the throne than that. You're you're asking, you're praying in the the name of the, the worthy one. What confidence in prayer is there that I will have heaven's attention when I use that name? The name that, is, that all of heaven is enraptured with. When I use that name, when I pray in that name, when I sing about that name. What confidence, what peace I have, what courage I have to pray. And then, how should I live? Colossians 3.17, Paul says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. All of your life should reflect a worthy one. Your speech, your attitude, your conduct. And furthermore, here's the biggest not only reflect him, but as him. In his name means to do it like he were doing it. Whoa. We we can never pray or live the same once we've seen the Lamb. He is worthy. Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven. That has been given among men. By which we must be saved. The apostle Paul. Writing to the church in Philippi. Perhaps with no knowledge of John's vision. Or vice versa. Here's what Paul says. Jesus. Talking about Jesus. Who although he existed in the form of God. Did not regard equality with God. A thing to be grasped. But emptied himself taking upon the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is worthy. Pray with me, please, as we close this morning. Friend, are you here today? And I want to ask you this question. Have you joined with those who have, and I don't mean Uh, casually addressed it but join with those who have thrown your life down before Jesus really that that's the only way nobody comes to the lamb and nods their head gives him a thumbs up and walks away the song may have been written Jesus is just all right with me but that's not the way that heaven sings it that's not what it means to acknowledge Christ as your Savior there's no other way than to totally and completely surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to really encounter and surrender to the Lamb of God who was slain for you, to purchase your life, to redeem your life, to make you a kingdom and priests, so that one day you too, you can live with Him for all eternity. To be a part of this great eternal party. Are you... Have you, are you prepared? What? How have you responded to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him and com- completely? I don't mean nod your head thumbs up. I mean surrender to Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning. No one can make you do that. But I want to challenge you to, to pray a prayer just like this. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the one that was slain for my salvation. I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Come and live in my life. You are my Lord. You are worthy. Receive Christ. Trust in him today. Let's stand together, please. I want you to just... I think the best way, one of the best ways we can respond to this passage is just together. Can we just join with the the creatures and the elders and the angels in heaven? Can we just give the Lord Jesus honor and praise this morning? Will you do that? Lift your voice, lift your hands, bless the Lord together. Can we just bless him? Bless him. Lord, we bless you. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive riches and honor and praise. Glory and honor and power and praise forever and ever. Lord Jesus, we bless you. Lord Jesus, we exalt your name. Lord, we declare that you are Lord and that you alone are worthy, and we give you thanks for it. We give you thanks and praise. We give you thanks and we give you praise. We give you thanks and we give you praise. We give you thanks and we give you praise. We give you thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And now. With heaven, can we just say amen? Come on, like, no, like they say it in heaven, let's just say amen. 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 So be it. Let it be forever and ever. Let Jesus be praised. Friends, the Lord bless you. We hope to see you tonight. Leave from this place in awe of the name of Jesus, and you'll never be the same. God bless you.